Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks unity in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ by His Word through the study of the clear and concise teachings confessed in the Book of Concord. As Peter boldly confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, we boldly confess the truth of the entirety of God's inerrant word, nothing more and nothing less. And we do it all for the sake of a clear conscience in Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We conclude our study of justification in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, justification through faith in Christ's cross and resurrection alone. I would encourage you to listen to all of, all of our previous guests on justification. This is our fifth study. We, we had joined us Pastor Greg Truey, Pastor Matthew Moss, Pastor Mac Bestel, and Professor John Pless. And what a joy it is to be filled with those gifts of justification, the doctrine by which the church um, stands or falls. And I love a quote from one of our previous guests when he said, justification by faith alone in Christ is not the start of a progressive salvation, but the end of a terrified conscience. There it is. All done when Jesus says it is finished, he meant it. We went through, went through many scripture passages last week that showed the fullness of Christ's satisfaction for your sins. And today we go back because one of the arguments during these days was, well, this is something new. This is something you just made up. But he proves, Melanchthon does in the Apology, that the church fathers also boldly confessed justification centuries before the Reformation, proving this was nothing new. We're simply saying what Scripture tells us in Christ. So open up your Bibles, open up your Book of Concord, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the Apology, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor McFadden, welcome back to Concord Matters. Thank you, Pastor. Glad to be with you. All right, let's get right into it for you, our guests. As you know, we are studying Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, a reader's edition to the Book of Concord from Concordia Publishing House, and invite you to turn with us to page 98, page 98. Uh, there's so much to cover throughout this whole time. Like I mentioned before, I encourage you to always read through it, um, but also to listen to previous guests because each guest brings a fullness to this that is unique to their own pastoral uh, um, uh, practice, I suppose you would say, but also uh, their pastoral soul care of souls, which is different everywhere. So today, as we look at this, we specifically look at the note and we dig right into the importance of justification for us as Christians. So on page 98, the note, and it says the title, The Church Fathers Affirm This Teaching. In the Apology, Melanchthon strongly refutes the Roman Church's understanding of faith, drawing on examples from Scripture and the Church Fathers. The Roman Church teaches that grace is infused into the human soul. Man cooperates with the infused grace to produce certain virtues, faith being among them. By freely assenting to the doctrines of the Roman Church, one demonstrates, quote-unquote, faith. This view of faith reduces God's gracious supernatural gift to a mere initiating power. It also diminishes personal faith in Christ to simple agreement with the teachings of the Church. Instead of heartfelt trust in our gracious God and Savior, 
faith becomes mere intellectual assent to the history of Jesus. In the Roman Church's theology, justification is given only partially in this life. The scriptures and Article 4 of the Apology, however, clearly teach and confess that justification is complete and total because of the sufficient, atoning, once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Pastor McFadden, throughout our times here, I've been doing a lot of fist bumps the more I read about justification. So I want to keep doing it today. So, Pastor, why is justification so important for us as Christians? Justification is important because it's, it is, as your quote at the beginning said, it frees the terrified conscience from wondering uh, what I have to do uh, to earn God's favor. And when we separate the promise of God and the actuality of it in the, in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross from everything else, we end up either looking inside uh, to see whether the quantity or the quality of my faith is sufficient, or we end up looking outside to see whether the evidence of my faith in my good works is, is sufficient in quality and quantity to earn my justification. Uh, I spent most of my first six decades as a Baptist, a good bit of it as a Baptist pastor, and only been a Lutheran for a little less than 12 years now. But I'll tell you, the idea that God's grace in the gospel, through word and sacrament, plus God's gift of faith is what is needed to put one right with God uh, is absolutely different from what most American Christians think. Uh, when I was a Baptist, we believed that that the grace of God was important. Jesus died on the cross for us, but then you had to add to it my decision. I had to decide. I had to make a decision. And boy, I was a lot smarter than those other people who didn't make that decision. They're going to go to hell. I'm going to go to heaven because I was smarter than they were, and I decided to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so for them, justification was a combination of the two, the two elements of the equation, God's grace plus my decision. And that's not the way the scripture renders it. In Romans 3, 4, and 5, the emphasis there is on the fact that justification is about God's verdict. It's not something that's related to my doing at all. It's related to the verdict of God. It's a forensic act, we would say, where we are counted righteous, we're declared righteous, we're reckoned righteous, we're absolved, we're forgiven through the work of Jesus Christ. And so in, in Romans 3, 4, and 5, as reflected in the Augsburg Confession and the Formula of Concord, we hear that justification is about something done to the individual sinner through faith. Faith is not the effective cause of justification. Uh, faith is just the instrument by which the Holy Spirit effects salvation. And he did it uh, definitively, objectively, decisively, conclusively on the cross of Christ. When Jesus said, it is finished, uh, Romans 4 says, he was handed over for our transgressions, he was raised up for our justification. The resurrection of Jesus Christ culminated that weekend of his suffering, and the suffering on Friday and the resurrection on Sunday effects for us a definitive uh, justification in that, you know, God declares because of Jesus Christ us to be not guilty in God's sight. There's a verdict from God. 
not based on whether I'm good enough or I have enough faith or my faith is able to grasp, you know, tightly enough onto God. It's not the quantity of my faith. It's not the quality of my faith. It's the grace of God in Jesus Christ that is the basis for my justification. Well, I'm going to ask this. Now, when you think of, uh, lack of a better term, uh, analogy of such a thing, because we're we talk about forensic justification, which points us to a courtroom, right? It does. Um, can you give us kind of an analogy of this is what this would look like, kind of a modern day parable? That's dangerous for me to say, but um, <laughs> something that you know kind of helps us to grasp this very uh, well. Such a comforting thing, but sometimes it will be even hard to understand. Well, because the gospel is not natural to us. Most of us, when we are at odds with a family member or a friend tend to defend ourselves in a very emotional way. We tend to throw up a lot of flotsam and jetsam. It wasn't really my fault or it, it's not my, it wasn't my problem or somebody else did it. And I only acted the way I acted because of it. And, and we end up trying to self-justify to kind of plea bargain our way out of the conflict. When we stand before a judge, our excuses are taken away. And the judge either declares us if it's a if it's a trial by judge, the judge declares us either guilty or not guilty based on the evidence before the court. And it's a verdict and the verdict does what it says it does. And in a similar way, it's sort of like when when um, when a pastor pronounces a couple man and wife, his pronouncing it makes it happen. It makes it real because he said it. He said, I now pronounce you man and wife. When a judge declares us not guilty, that makes it happen. That That is actual, it's objective, it's real. It's not in that floating around area of self-justifying or excuses or any of the rest of it. it and it's not, it's not flexible. It doesn't, it's not on a, a he doesn't grade on a, on a, on a, <laughs> on a curve. God declares us either guilty or not guilty, and he has determined by his grace, to do that in the one who came to suffer in our place for us, for all sins of all people, for all time. Well, I just gave a fist bump on that one. I mean, it is just so powerful. And it's great to hear from your perspective of not having that for all these years, um, knowing that Jesus had died for you, but yet always feeling like there was something more you had to do. And I encourage you, our listeners, if there's any of you that kind of has a story similar to that, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org, of the fullness of when we look at justification, as we know from Scripture and clearly articulated in our Lutheran confessions, what that means to you. Because as a cradle Lutheran, I've been in my whole life, there's times you think, well, that looks a little more exciting over there. This looks a little more you know, something else declared righteous. Well, of course I'm declared righteous. That's what, it, that's what I've always grown up with, you know? Um, but for people that have come from something else, it is something that's so um, affirming and beautiful. That's helped me understand even more the joy of having that my whole life. But what's it? Let's dig into the confessions here. We're on page 99. And once again, Melanchthon is making sure that everyone knows this is not something new. We didn't make this up out of, out of nowhere. It's in scripture, but also it was confessed by our forefathers, the church fathers. Number 103. Here and there among the fathers, similar testimonies exist. 
For Ambrose says in his letter to a certain Irenaeus, Furthermore, the world was subject to God by the law, because according to the command of the law, all are indicted. And yet by the works of the law, no one is justified. For by the law, sin is perceived, but guilt is not taken away. The law, which declared all people sinners, seemed to have done harm. But when the Lord Jesus Christ came, he forgave to all people the sin which no one could avoid. And by shedding his own blood, he blotted out the handwriting that was against us. This is what he says in Romans chapter 5, verse 20. The law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Because after the whole world became subject, Christ took away the sin of the whole world, as John testified, saying in John 1, 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And for this reason, let no one boast about works, because no one is justified by his deeds. But he who is righteous has righteousness given to him, because he was justified from the washing of baptism. Faith, therefore, is that which frees through the blood of Christ, because he is blessed, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Psalm 32, verse 1. Pastor, I think right here, either Ambrose was a Lutheran or Luther was an Ambrosian. Um, what does Ambrose tell us here? Well, I think I think the thing to notice is is how clever Melanchthon is, because uh, Melanchthon is dealing with people in the Roman church who are saying this justification by faith stuff is newfangled theology. It isn't what the church believed. The church Catholic for 1,500 years has believed something different, and so so Melanchthon goes back to the first several hundred years of the church where there were four so-called doctors of the church, Jerome, Gregory the Great, Ambrose, and Augustine. And he picks two of the most notable fathers of the church. Ambrose, who was a, a teenager when Augustine was born, uh, he died, uh, oh, about 30, 33 years earlier than Augustine because he died in his 50s and, and Augustine made it to his mid-70s. But he picks the two most notable theologians from the first 500 years of the church, Ambrose and uh, Augustine. And he shows with this extensive quote from Ambrose, and he's going to give us one from Augustine after that, that this is, this is simply what the church has always proclaimed. And it's the, it's the, the church of Luther's day that has misunderstood the Christian faith, not Luther and Melanchthon and, and the people of the Reformation. And so he he is drilling home what we would call forensic justification, the idea that we are justified before God solely on God's grace in Christ. And you could go back to John 1 or Ephesians 1 or Ephesians 2. You could look at the Apology uh, throughout uh, the large catechism, several places. You could look at the Formula of Concord. And it all reaffirms the same point that Ambrose is making, that we are that the sinner's justification before God is solely by God's grace in Jesus Christ. I love how he says these words. For by the law, sin is perceived. You know, we talk about the law always accusing, but guilt is not taken away. So we we can have this perception that prior to Luther. People don't understand that. They're like, nope, they didn't get it till Luther. Like, no, this is very clear. 
the law declared all people sinners seem to have done harm. But when Jesus, the Lord Jesus came, he forgave all people the sin, which no one could avoid. Absolutely. Which is great as it continues on, obviously. It just it brings this perfect law, gospel, reality well, that we see throughout Scripture. It's a whole thing. Yeah, the law, the law can only produce contrition. The, the, the purpose of the law is to is to drive us to our knees. The law can can give us contrition, but only the gospel can deliver salvation. Anything else you want to highlight about Ambrose and his words? Uh, I like the fact that he's that 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 Ambrose is is referencing both uh, John one and Romans five. These are are real key. Uh, that whole Romans three to five is is absolutely essential for understanding the nature of justification. Paul lays it out so clearly and in such detail. Uh, chapter 5, he goes into the, 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 the parallel between Christ and Adam, first Adam, second Adam. Uh, but earlier than that, he lays out uh, the ways. Earlier in Romans, he talked about how people try to stand as justified by God by, by, by their various efforts to, to self-justify. And he, he nails it by saying creation declares God, conscience declares God. But then when you get to the giving of the law, the law itself uh, can never justify anyone. It, it, the law always accuses Melanchthon reminds us in another passage. And that's exactly what its function is. It's, its purpose is not to justify us, but to accuse us. And it's only the gospel that delivers grace. And also at the very end, faith, therefore, is that which frees through the blood of Christ because he is blessed, whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And again, Last, uh, as I said before, ahead. you know, coming out of the Baptist world, uh, the, the, the work of Jesus Christ was essential for setting the table. But the only way you're going to get the meal is if you make an individual decision of your own free will to accept that gospel. And the emphasis uh, on God's grace and your decision are almost treated theoretically not equal, but in practice, it's pretty. Most most people coming through a Baptist experience, a non-denominational church, are going to think that their deciding is just about as important as Jesus is dying, and that is a profound misunderstanding. Faith, uh, we would say, is the is the ear that hears God's promise and the hand that receives His gift. And that's what Ambrose says. We continue on number 104 on page 99. These are the words of Ambrose, which clearly favor our doctrine. He denies justification to works and teaches that faith sets us free through the blood of Christ. Let all the commentators on the sentences who are adorned with magnificent titles be collected into one heap. For some are called angelic, others called subtle and others unanswerable, that is, doctors who cannot err. When all these have been read and reread, they will not be worth half as much for understanding Paul as in this one passage of Ambrose. I want to stop there. What is Melanchthon telling us about the, well, I guess you say, leaders of the Roman church? Yeah, you've you got you to realize uh, that he's, he's really hitting below the belt here because when he says the sentences... <laughs> That was the definitive systematic theology that everybody who became a Roman Catholic priest read, studied, and memorized. It was Lombard sentences, and that's what they all focused on. That was the, the go-to book 
for Roman Catholic uh, seminarians, we call them seminarians. So a Roman Catholic preparing to be a priest, they would have to dig into Lombard sentences. In fact, one of uh, one of Luther's many uh, degrees was a degree based on his mastery of, of the sentences. And so he mentions that. He mentions the fact that uh, Thomas Aquinas was called the angelic doctor. Uh, other theologians were were said to be subtle or unanswerable or unerring. And, it, you know, essentially what Melanchthon says is, okay, we got all these guys that you want to cite as, as heroes of the faith. Let's go back to the beginning of the faith and look at the, at the people that they base their theology on. The sentences were based on the work of Ambrose and Augustine and Aquinas, uh, I mean, not Aquinas yet, but uh, Ambrose and Augustine. And if you go back to Ambrose, he doesn't teach what the later guys misinterpreted him as saying. So he's he's really uh, kind of sweeping aside a whole uh, several centuries of tradition and saying that, you know, if if the Bible itself isn't clear enough for you the way Dr. Luther and I've been explaining it, let's look at what our own theologians in the church have said over the years. And they they're saying the same thing we're saying. And I love how he says it, too. This is really below the belt when he's talking about these doctors who cannot err that if they were to read all of it over and over again, it would not be worth half as much as just reading what Ambrose wrote. I mean, literally what to a par- few paragraphs at the most, yeah. you know, and, so- <laughs> and his, and his point is that, that Ambrose clearly understood that it was that salvation comes by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. And that was the point that the reformation emphasized. It is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. Number 106. In the same way, Augustine writes many things about against the Pelagians in On the Spirit and the Letter. He says, The righteousness of the law, that he who has fulfilled the law shall live in it, is set forth for this reason. When anyone has recognized his weakness, he may attain and do the law and live in it, reconciling the justifier not by his own strength or nor by the letter of the law itself, which cannot be done, but by faith. In a justified person, there is no right work by which he who does that work may live, but justification is received by faith. Here Augustine clearly says that the justifier is reconciled by faith and that justification is received by faith. A little after, by the law we fear God, by faith we hope in God. But to those fearing punishment, grace is hidden. And the soul laboring under the, this fear resorts by faith to God's mercy in order that he may give what he commands. Here he teaches that hearts are terrified by the law, but they receive, they receive consolation by faith. He also teaches us to receive mercy by faith before we try to fulfill the law. We will quote certain other passages shortly. So when he speaks about Augustine, I found this fascinating because when I talk to brothers and sisters in other denominations, especially uh, my brother pastors, um, is that reality that when they think of Augustine, they simply think of his talks about original sin and his talks about the city of God. And, and that's kind of where it ends. Like the idea that he was a saved by faith alone person is not even on the, on the ballpark. And it wasn't then either. What, what did we hear from Augustine? Well, again, realize the context he's saying this. He's saying it in his argument against 
Pelagius. And Pelagius was a British monk who had argued uh, that we don't have original sin. We just have a bad example, that the problem we have is not that we are born with a sinful nature and that we become rather expert at exercising and perfecting it, but that we just have bad examples. It, it reminds me of that old line of the kid who came home from school with a, with a bad report card, and he was just about ready to get yelled at by his, his father. And he said, well, Dad, I may not be too good in school, but I did, know, I did learn one thing, that pretty much everything is either the fault of my heredity or my environment. Which do you think it is in this case? And, and Pelagius essentially argued that it was our, our environment that, that, that gave rise to sin. And because of that, he had to argue that we had free will with regard to Christ. And so this whole decision theology that we see so much in American Christianity today owes a lot to the kinds of ideas Pelagius had about our original condition, our sin, and how to fix it. It's something we contribute to. And for Augustine, uh, the idea of original sin and the idea of faith tie together because if, if we are born under the penalty and the guilt of Adam's sin, if we are born with a nature that is turned, as Luther said, curved in on itself, then we can't help ourselves. And it has to be done for us by someone outside of us. And so the whole logic of the incarnation is God coming to do for us what we could never do for ourselves? Because we are, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, dead in sin, not we're sick. The image is not of a person in a hospital that the doctor has to give a, a spoonful of medicine to, to to revive them. We're we're more like Lazarus in the tomb. We've been dead for days, and God has to speak a, a vivifying word that that summons us to life. And so faith becomes that that word which in our ears is received and summons us to life, not a, a decision we make after weighing all of the evidence and analyzing everything. And so for Augustine, putting the emphasis on faith is the, is the logical conclusion of what he teaches about original sin. And if you take original sin seriously, you better believe in salvation by grace alone and faith alone and Christ alone, or you're in big trouble. We'll talk more about this on the other side of our break. We are concluding our study on justification from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Dennis McFadden, and we'll be right back. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. back. We are studying what Scripture proclaims with justification from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. As we hear these words from Augustine and from Ambrose, 
we hear words that are are just they're they're so relatable i would say of what we always believe teach and confess as lutherans now now pastor i want to just touch on this a little bit is we might have some people from other denominations listening to us today actually i know we do that we will often hear those words of you know jesus has died for you all you need to do is decide for Christ. But also, we often will use words like we received Christ. Um, we grab hold of the promise. For example, Paul tells Timothy to take hold of salvation, which has been given to you, uh, for Timothy chapter 6. We hear language that sounds so similar. I mean, is it really that big of a deal? And how would you um, speak to our brothers and sisters when saying, well, okay, we're different, but not that different. What's the big deal? How, what would you say to them? I think, I think, Pastor, that I would reduce it to something so simple and pastoral as how we are in ourselves when nobody's around and the TV's off and the kids are in bed and it's just us thinking. And if we honestly believe that it was necessary for me to do something, anything, to earn my salvation. In a time of doubt, and in our culture, we have an unprecedented number of people who are on anxiety meds and antidepressants because of, a, you know, anxiety and depression is, is so rampant in our society that in a time of feeling bad or feeling anxious, if I think somehow my standing with God is dependent on either the quantity, how much faith I've got, or the quality, how completely I believed it, how thoroughly I banished the doubts, how purely I intended my motives when I, when I accepted Jesus Christ. If that's our bottom line, we are going to be struggling with assurance. It is going to, it is going to gut our sense of assurance. And it not only is going to do that there, but it's going to it's going to cause us to become little gerbils on treadmills who are trying to prove that we are good enough for God, prove that we do enough good deeds. I always used to say it was easy to get up a, a bunch of volunteers in a Baptist church because all I had to do is appeal to their guilt and they'd be more than willing to volunteer uh, because they had something to prove. They had something to establish. And I think that for us, uh, there is a very significant difference. When we say we cling to the promises of God, it's all about the promises of God, and it's not about how much faith I have or how good my faith is. Luther repeatedly said that it's not about having a large enough faith. It's not about having a pure enough faith. We are, we are in our best of moments beset with mixed motives. And the message of justification is good news not bad news, principally because it's all about what God has done. Now, there is a distinction in, in Romans 3, 4, and 5 when we talk about justification. We're referring to the personal justification through faith of the sinner. But the Bible also speaks of justification in terms of, of that act of, of Christ who died and rose again for us. So in one sense, if you ask a if you ask a Baptist, when were you saved? They'll probably tell you, you know, when they 
walked the aisle or accepted Christ. If you ask a Lutheran, you might very well get someone to say, well, I think it was April 3rd, 33 AD. Uh, that's when Jesus died on the cross. That paid the price for my sin. And he said, it is finished. Uh, and so there is a sense in which when we say justification, we're speaking of the objective act of God through Christ in grace for us for all time. And then there's a sense in, in Romans 3, 4, and 5 when that objective justification gets appropriated by the, by the Holy Spirit in creating faith within us and giving us that gift in an individual way. So it isn't my mother's salvation or my father's salvation or my uncle's salvation. It's mine through faith. But the, even that faith is a gift of God. It's not something that I add to the process. It's something I receive. As I said, it's the, it's the ear that hears the good news of the promise, and it's the hand that simply catches and receives the gift that is extended and given. Certainly nothing I've done to deserve it or earn it. And that's the key. Often we will talk about what we're saved by faith. And the natural old Adam American understanding is, oh, good. So that's what I do. But then scripture is so clear about how faith comes by hearing the word of God and the Holy Spirit, you know, filling us through baptism and, and by his gifts to be able to say that Jesus is Lord. And so it really just takes all any, any kind of arrogance that we have in the faith. It just wipes it all out. Mm-hmm. which is kind of frustrating as an American, I would guess, um, but also something that just really brings you to your knees. Like you said, when we're not having to look at the to-do list, when we're actually realizing where we are, the conscience never gets clear because you always wish you would have something done, done something different. You wish you would have done more. You wish you would have had done this. Nobody goes and says, I have done absolutely everything that I ever wanted to do. No questions asked. Everyone has done that. I, I've never done anything. I don't regret. We, none, nobody has that, which is why we need Christ's full righteousness given to us on the cross. Oh, I'm ready to move on. You have anything else, Pastor? Yeah, I was going to make another observation. I, I know that sometimes people say, well, because Lutheran services look Catholic, Lutherans must be closer to the Catholics than they are to American evangelicalism. But I would argue the opposite. I would say that Roman Catholics and American evangelicals are closer to each other than either of them are to Lutherans. And Mm -hmm. and the reason is, at the time of Luther, the most popular theologian of his day was a fellow by the name of Beale. And Beale famously said that when we do what is within us, God will not withhold grace. And his doctrine was... You try as hard as you can, and God will give you the grace to get over the hump. And then you try as hard as you can, and he'll give you more grace to get over the next hump. And you kind of climb climb this spiritual ladder where you do something, God does something, you do something, God does something, and eventually you get to the end of your life and you go to heaven. And evangelicalism, with its emphasis on uh, constantly looking inward to evaluate the, the faith within, and outward to the fruit of faith in my behavior are, are really doing a very similar thing. It, it, as one person commented, you know, they, they, they believe we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. That just means that for them, they think that, that grace is what gets you in the door. But what keeps you in the door is all the good works that you have to do to prove to God that you really are serious. And so it falls back on you again. And uh, 
both the Roman church and American evangelicalism has a tendency to put the emphasis on what we do. And the Lutherans, in our argument for salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, believe that justification is purely the act of God. And when it's used in connection with justification, faith has to always be regarded as receptive, as an empty hand which does nothing but solely receives a free gift. John 1.12, John 1.14, Romans 4.16, all the way through the Bible and our confessions, it emphasizes that if you put the word justification, faith, in the same sentence, faith is going to be receptive, not active. It's an empty hand. Let's continue. Any, <laughs> thanks be to God. Page 99, uh, right at the bottom, number 107, where the adversaries reject this teaching. Truly, it is amazing that the adversaries are in no way moved by so many passages of Scripture, which clearly credit justification to faith. Indeed, Scripture denies the ability to works. Do they think that the same point is repeated so often for no purpose? Do they think that these words fell thoughtlessly from the Holy Spirit? But they have also come up with sophisticated tricks by which they escape these passages. They say that these passages of Scripture that speak of faith ought to be received by referring to faith that has been formed, fides formata. This means they do not credit justification to faith except on the account of love. Yes, they do not credit justification to faith in any way, but only to love, because they dream that faith can coexist with mortal sin. Where does this go? They again abolish the promise and return to the law. If faith receives forgiveness of sins because of love, forgiveness of sins will always be uncertain because we never love as much as we ought to. Indeed, we do not love unless our hearts are firmly convinced that forgiveness of sins has been granted to us. So the adversaries in forgiveness of sins and justification require confidence in one's own love. In this way, they completely abolish the gospel about the free forgiveness of sins. Although at the same time, they do not offer this love or understand it, unless they believe that forgiveness of sins is freely received. We also say that love ought to follow faith, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. These words are important, I believe, Pastor, and we know they're important. Because you hear that love language. And I remember hearing it. I went to a liberal college. And in that college, I remember them saying, this is not about works. This is not about, I didn't say faith. It's not about doctrine. It's about love. And, you know, many people in the room are kind of like, oh, this is great. You know, we're just finally getting away from all this rote memorization and these words and, you know, back talk and all this. We're just going to focus on love. And it sounds like it's a similar situation in those days as well. What's what's the issue of always focusing on love and not talking about faith? Melanchthon lays it out. He says, if, if you want to make everything relate to love, it's going to be about something you do. And the question is, did you really love enough? And it gets back to that quantity quality thing. Did, was the quantity of your love, did you, did you have enough units of love to justify yourself? Do you, is, were you really sincere? Were you acting as a hypocrite? Were you trying to, to, to look good in other people's eyes? And it caught that introspective look to focus on how much I love 
as a basis for justification destroys the gospel. The gospel is about a free gift. This isn't a free gift. This is this is a tyranny. This is a treadmill. This is a, a set of handcuffs. I will never love enough to satisfy myself I've loved enough. I will never be able to do enough to satisfy myself that I've done enough. And if my justification is based on what I do or what I love or how sincere I am or how wholehearted I am, I'll be running around chasing my tail and never finding it. And that's why he said it, that, that the, his adversaries don't understand how to have a te- terrified conscience. Only the gospel can take away a terrified conscience because only the gospel declares my child, my sinful, frail, failing, one step forward, two step back child, I forgive you through Jesus Christ. I declare you not guilty in Jesus Christ. Only that kind of view of justification can can salve a terrified conscience. And this is why it's important as we go through justification and end our study on justification that you continue to study, as we saw in Galatians chapter 5, when obviously uh, love is an outflow of faith. For we will be studying, right now, justification has been five episodes, and I was kind of looking at this, that we have about uh, about 20 pages in this uh, book of Concord concerning justification. Well, when it comes to love fulfilling the law, we have over 40, which I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was actually twice as long about it because I knew justification was forever, and I didn't know this part. So we're going to have a lot more programs and studies on love fulfilling the law because it's so important that we're very clear about, okay, well, you're you're not talking about love. No, we talk about love, but it it follows faith. I go, well, what's the difference? And this is why we have so much writing on it and how much was happening in those days. And let's be honest, is happening today when we talk about the source and foundation of all love that we give, which obviously begins with Christ and God's love um, through his cross and resurrection. Um, any any thoughts on that? Is we just that small part there, one hundred and eleven? It just very clearly. We also say that love ought to follow faith, as Paul says in Galatians chapter five. Any thoughts of of how he flows that here and why it's important today? I, again, I think that for a person who truly understands that the source of justification before God is solely God's grace in Jesus Christ, will love as the proper fruit of that realization. I love, uh, I, I criticize the Reformed an awful lot, but I like the organization of the Heidelberg Catechism. It, start, it has three sections, guilt, grace, gratitude. And there is a sense in which once you have been convicted by the law and you see yourself as a sinner, and then you are converted by the gospel, which brings you the good news of your forgiveness in Jesus Christ, your justification before God, by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, then the response of, of love is able to flow because we're set free from that constant stress and struggle and terror of asking, am I good enough? Have I done enough? And we can be set free to love our neighbor and live out the law uh, as the guide through our obedient response of love but not to confuse that with how we got in the door of justification. We continue on number 112 and page 100 of the Book of Concord. Yet we must not think that by confidence in this love, 
For because of this love, we receive forgiveness of sins and reconciliation. Just as we do not receive forgiveness of sins because of other works that follow. But forgiveness of sins is received by faith alone. Indeed, this is properly called faith because the promise cannot be received except by faith. Faith, properly called, is what believes this promise. Scripture speaks of faith because faith receives the forgiveness of sins and reconciles us to God. And we, like Abraham, counted as righteous for Christ's sake before we love and before we do the works of the law, although love necessarily follows. Nor indeed is this faith an idle knowledge, neither can it coexist with mortal sin. It is a work of the Holy Spirit, by which we are freed from death and terrified minds are encouraged and brought to life. Because this faith alone receives forgiveness of sins, makes us acceptable to God, and brings the Holy Spirit, it could be more correctly called grace making one pleasing to God. It could not be called an effect following faith, i.e., that is, love. So he's talking about where do we find our confidence and to understand also that distinction of knowledge of history versus faith. How do you want to break that down? Well, let me ask you a question. Do you have a mortgage? <laughs> Lord have mercy, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and and presumably somebody has to pay for it. Yeah, someone does, and that would be me. Correct. Yeah, that would be true. Now, if you just now, if some gracious benefactor came along and just said to you, Pastor Finneran, I just love you so much, I'm going to pay your mortgage off. And they wrote a check and they sent it to your lender and they paid off your mortgage. What? And, and you said thank you. And you believed that what they did really happened and you trusted them and you you took it on faith that they paid your mortgage. Would your saying thank you contribute to the price that was sent to the lender? Of course not. Um, no. No, it was the it was the check that went to the lender that paid off your mortgage that is important, not your gratitude after the fact. Faith is the believing and trusting that what God declares is true, and that when he says, I have paid for all of your sin for all time. That's true. When he says that on the cross, Jesus was handed over for our transgressions and he was raised up for our, our justification, Romans 4.25, faith says, amen. Hmm. May it be just as you say. Faith is the reception of the gift. The gift is not my reception. The gift is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and resurrection paid for my sin, not my believing it, not my trusting it, not by being confident that it's true. My receiving it, faith is, is my amen of, of receptive grasping onto the gift that God has thoroughly provided of his own will and for my sake. It was for me, and he did it. And he did it all from the start to finish. And then he even gave me the gift of faith to receive it. We speak about idle knowledge. I find this fascinating because in uh, number 115, 115, it is a tendency we have, and this is, I think, especially true for pastors, especially true for those who work in the church, 
especially true for pastors kids as one i'll say that um where we say well a strong faith is those who really know their bible yeah and 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 so here he's fighting that quite a bit i'm finding throughout the augsburg and the apology um and what what do you think is going on in well, those days? Well, and again, uh, let me give an analogy from from my early years uh, before you were born, uh, Pastor. <laughs> uh, when I was in seminary, there was a very popular evangelism movement in the United States. It was called the I Found It Campaign. And hmm. the point of the I Found It Campaign, Campus Crusade for Christ, it was called back then. Now it's called Crew. But they had a campaign to market the entire uh, country with bumper stickers that say, I found it. And their approach to evangelism was to get people uh, say, do you know that the Bible says that you're a sinner? Do you know Jesus died for your sin? Do Do you understand that? And if they agreed to it, they took that intellectual assent as saving faith. And they reduced saving faith to mere idle knowledge, to mere intellectual affirmation to, you know, I I would say that there's a difference between knowing that there's a God. There's a difference between being persuaded that what he wrote in his word is true and actually having saving faith. Saving faith involves trusting him and him alone for salvation, not just believing that there's a God or even believing that the, the, the Bible stories are true. And there are a lot of people that think that, that faith is about the degree to which we have intellectual understanding or knowledge or facts about God. And for Melanchthon, faith is living and active. It is the, it is the gift of God that, that is able to receive. It is a gift of God to receive the gift of God, which is justification by grace alone, of faith, uh, through faith alone, of Christ alone, and what he did. Our justification, the gift of all gifts, is received by faith not by an intellectualized accumulation of facts about the life of Jesus. You could you could know the Bible verses for everything in the New Testament and not be a Christian. In fact, one of the one of the leading uh, agnostics today uh, regularly uh, uh, publishes New York Times bestsellers trying to undo people's faith. And he does it as a PhD in New Testament, who understands the verses of the Bible better than either you or I ever will. And so it isn't merely the accumulation of, of idle knowledge. Uh, it is, it is faith. It is faith alone that receives forgiveness of sins, not uh, accepting a certain set of facts as true. And I think that's part of the reason, as you mentioned, crew, one of the reasons why uh, ministry among our college students is so huge, because I remember going to my college and you had these people who knew the Bible really well and they didn't believe. Yeah. And it was just kind of this shocking, like, what do you mean? Like, I don't know the Bible well and I believe. Does that mean I don't, you know, I don't know enough and so forth? So you have that kind of crisis that occurs as well in our world. Yeah. Like this individual you mentioned is when we start putting our faith on our knowledge then you have a whole slew of issues of of people and you know those who are have alzheimers or those who are unable to you know they have different kind of um um sick, not sicknesses but disabilities they're not able to know a lot or they're not able to memorize or whatever it might be and all of a sudden once again where does what is the object of our faith not knowledge not history 
not ability, but simply in Christ. And I want to encourage you, our listeners, I've talked about how you should highlight the word conscience throughout the whole book of Concord. I think another words for you to highlight is forgiveness of sins. Mm-hmm. It's just absolutely everywhere. And it is so full as our previous guest, uh, Pastor Bestel, said well, that the only people, the only churches that are explicitly proclaiming all the time forgiveness of sins are confessional Lutherans. Because that is exactly who we are. Why? Because that scripture is all about. And so I, I, I just encourage you, if you're a highlighting person, try highlighting forgiveness of sins and see how many times it comes up. It's absolutely everywhere. Pastor, anything else you want to highlight before we uh, we'll see well, how much time we got here? Go ahead. I was going to say that let's tie it together with where you're going to go next. The consequences, right, of, the consequences of justification are peace with God, a good conscience, comfort, consolation under the cross, and hope of life everlasting. From the moment when justifying faith has been wrought by the Holy Spirit in the act of regeneration or conversion, the same Spirit of God also actuates such living faith in the divine work of renovation or sanctification. Ooh, that's very good. That's very good. Okay. That's from, that's from Graber from your seminary back in the day. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Let's Graeber. finish this out. Graeber uh, he he did great. We should write that. Down. I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna you, you send that to me an email. I'll just I will. Say that. It's, it's out say of that. it's out of Grabner's uh, outlines of dogmatics. I love it. I love it. Page 100. We're gonna finish this thing off. 117. In order that the subject might be made quite clear, we have shown well enough so far, both from testimonies of Scripture and arguments derived from Scripture, that we receive forgiveness of sins for Christ's sake through faith alone. We have shown that through faith alone we are justified, that is, unrighteous people are made righteous or regenerated. How necessary the knowledge of this faith is can easily be can be easily judged, because Christ's office is recognized in this alone. We receive Christ's benefits by this alone. Only this teaching brings sure and firm consolation to pious minds. In the church there must be the teaching by which the pious may receive the sure hope of salvation. For the adversaries give people bad advice when they tell them to doubt whether they receive forgiveness of sins. How will such persons sustain themselves in death who have heard nothing of this faith and think that they ought to doubt whether they receive forgiveness of sins? Besides, it is necessary that the gospel be kept in Christ's church, namely, the promise that sins are freely forgiven for Christ's sake. Those who are teaching nothing of this faith we speak about completely abolish the gospel. But the scholastics mention not even a word about this faith. Our adversaries follow them and reject this faith. Nor do they see that by rejecting this faith, they abolish the entire promise about the free forgiveness of sins and the righteousness of Christ. Pastor, can you do this for us? Can you read that quote again by Dr. Grabner? The consequences of justification are peace with God, a good conscience, comfort, and consolation under the cross, and hope of life everlasting. From the moment when justifying faith has been wrought by the Holy Spirit in the act of regeneration or conversion, the same Spirit of God also actuates such living faith in the divine work of renovation or sanctification. Pastor, we have about 30 seconds left in our time. Anything else you want to bring this all home with? Don't let anyone steal from you the gospel. The gospel is the power of God It pronounces the forgiveness of sins for you. 
And folks, it don't get no better than that. Pastor Dennis McFadden of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, clearly confessing the truth of justification from the Holy Scriptures as confessed in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. Pastor McFadden, thank you for bringing it home on this last session and study on justification. I was happy to be with you. Thank you. I'm your host, Pastor Brady Finner, and thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of His hand. 